All right, well, you know, I'm sure you're as surprised as, to see me up here as I am to be here, for sure. Um, I think people always make fun of Hyun Kim, another village leader, uh, and I, because we can never say no to Pastor Paul, so here I am. Um, but my wise husband, um, Suman Kim, he says, um, you know, if, if Pastor Paul's asking you to do something, then it's probably something that God wants you to do. Um, so as I stand here today, um, super inadequate and extremely unqualified, um, I'm faithfully banking on the fact that God wants me to be here for some reason. So anyway, so when, um, when Pastor Paul asked me to speak today, he not only asked me to ask slash told me to speak, um, he also recommended a passage from the book of Romans. So of course he picks literally the book most widely known to be the hardest to speak on, so um, that's where our passage is going to come from today. Um, but the passage is about being adopted into God's family. Um, and adoption is something definitely that I am familiar with. So I wanted to share um, some of my background to start because I know um, I don't know a lot of you. So I was born in Korea um, on May 16th, 1977. So um, actually Korea is 13 hours ahead. So actually, um, you know, I was likely born on this very day, like 32 years ago. Just kidding. 45, 45 years ago, but um, anyway, so, uh, so on this very day, so I guess it's meant to be. But all my paperwork says that um, I was abandoned on the streets in the outskirts of Seoul and found by the Wooey police station. So I grew up my whole life thinking, literally, you know, that I was abandoned in the street in a basket or something, and the police came and saved me. Um, but I actually was able to go back. I went on a mission trip to Mongolia in 2008, and I was able to stop by Korea um, to kind of do a, a family search. And I found out that I was actually left in a clinic after birth, so it's a little bit more palatable, um, and then entered into the system for adoption. So um, I actually found out at that time that I was the fifth of five girls. So it's crazy. So I have four sisters out there somewhere, four older sisters. Um, but that's likely why they probably placed me for adoption. I don't know if I was a boy. It might have been different. I don't know. Um, but, you know, also it stated in the paperwork that... Um, they had financial difficulties as well. So that's probably contributed to, to that process. But um, during that trip, I was actually able to visit the orphanage where I spent some time when, when I was a baby. Um, but I actually, um, I wasn't there for very long. I guess, I, you know, I was lucky. I was there for three months. And then on August 25th, 1977, I flew over um, to the States and with a ton of other babies. They literally have like rows and rows of babies that, that come over. Um, but I was officially adopted by Barbara and Stephen Yagelski, a Caucasian couple who lived in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, and that's where I lived for the first few years of my life. So that's just the beginning. I will definitely share more of my adoption story as I go along. Um, I think there are so many similarities between human adoption and spiritual adoption. Um, so I'll touch on those, but there are also so many differences. So I'll also be touching on those as well. So let's look at our passage for today. Um, our passage comes from Romans 8, 14 through 17. Um, and let's read it all together. Okay, that would be fun. Um, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, that we may also share in his glory. 
flowers fall, but the words of God last forever. So I do want to start with some history and context here. Um, Although adoption wasn't common in Jewish society, Paul is speaking here to the Church of Romans. um, And in Roman society, adoption was a significant and common practice. So wealth and inheritance would typically be passed on to sons, like the the eldest son usually. Um, And if you had no son, or if you had an unworthy son, you would find someone to adopt. And here we think of adoption usually like babies or little kids, but um, there it was usually older boys or even men that were found, um, well, useful for one, um, but then also found worthy to pass their inheritance to at that time. So when the adoption was legally approved, the adoptee, adoptee would have all their debts canceled, they would also receive a new name, and they would become a legal son and entitled to all rights of the, of the father. So one other little tidbit is, it's funny because um, although fathers could disown a natural-born son in Roman society, adoption was irreversible. I mean, it was, it was a permanent thing. So um, I, I don't know if you've heard of the, the movie or the book called Ben-Hur, but this is a, um, just a, a little sn- a sna- snapshot from that. But um, Ben-Hur is a, it's a book and movie that portrays, one part of it portrays Roman adoption. So if you don't know the story, um, Judah Ben-Hur was a Jew, um, and he had been imprisoned on a Roman ship. But when the ship started to sink, he escaped and ultimately saved the life of a Roman commander um, whose name is Arius. So Arius' only son had been actually killed, and so um, because he had saved him, he actually adopts Judah as his own. Um, and upon adoption, he's pardoned for his supposed crimes. He's given a new name, um, and the name was Young Arius, and he assumes all the rights of, um, of his inheritance. So this scene here um, is a picture where, they have an- where they're announcing his adoption. Um, and in that scene, Arius takes off his ancestral signet ring um, and gives it to Young Arius, and pronoun- uh, announcing that he has received a new life, a new home, and a new father. So... Um, I just really wanted to show that because, um, you know, Paul uses that metaphor of adoption because it's something that is, you know, the Roman audience would have have, um, understood very well at the time. So that's a little bit of history on that. The other thing I wanted to touch on is the word sonship. So verse 15 mentions adoption to sonship, and there are other translations that say adoption as sons. So, um, you know, in this day and age, you can't really say a lot of things, so um, some people people might think of this as uh, sexist, Um, but if you think about those times, the choice of words was likely intentional. So at that time, a strong male form was the most valuable, and sons were treated very differently than, than daughters were treated. And the metaphor is important here because being adopted as sons is showing that high value that was held at the time, and that high value was given to us. But it was just a metaphor. Um, adoption, of course, applies to both males and to females. But women, if you are offended by this reference to only sons, um, Tim Keller talked about this and said, Christian women should not resent being called sons any more than Christian men should resent being called the bride of Christ. So all you guys are brides. Um, Christians are all sons and all the bride. God is even-handed in his use of metaphors. So in any case, I actually like the King James translation, um, which states, we have received the spirit of adoption. So hence the, the title of this message for today. Okay, so now that we have some history, um, let's kind of look closer at the, the text. Um, And there are probably more, I'm sure there are more, but um, I'd like to talk about four truths of our spiritual adoption that really stuck out to me as I was was preparing. So the first truth I'd like to talk about is that adoption is the work of a triune God. Adoption is the work of a triune God. So this is something that I never really thought about before. So as I was studying it, I thought it was so interesting. You know, our adoption is truly the work of God, 
Jesus, and the Holy Spirit working together. So let's talk about God first. So God was the one who initiated our adoption. We were always predestined for this new status. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So there's a difference between being created by God and being a child of God. You know, obviously everyone was created by God, but God chose us to be his children even before he literally created this entire world. So, um, you know, his motive, the only motive he had was, was love. Martin Lloyd-Jones um, is a, was a famous Welsh minister who preached a lot in the book of Romans. And he once said that our adoption um, is the highest expression of God's love. The highest expression of God's love. So he chose us. And sometimes it feels like um, we were the ones who chose God, but it was actually him who chose us first. I mean, I, um, you know, as a baby in the orphanage when I was two months old or three months old, um, clearly I wasn't the one who initiated my adoption process. Um, it was my parents who initiated it, right? So similarly, it was God who chose us and God that initiated our adoption. Second um, is Jesus. Uh, so Jesus paid the price for us. You know, God chose us, but we orphaned ourselves by disobeying God's commands. So God sent his son to redeem us, which we can kind of equate to mediating our adoption for us. Um, Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So just like no human adoption can be done without kind of the, the legal administrative work, um, Jesus did that work for us um, by satisfying the demands to set us free. Um, and it's only through Jesus that we can be adopted. So if we kind of go back to the metaphor, it's essentially Jesus that released us from the confines of, of the orphanage. Um, I don't have a slide for this, but John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So it is Christ that mediates our adoption for those who believe. And last but not least, um, the Holy Spirit seals our adoption or finishes our adoption. You know, just like the Father sent the Son um, to do the redeeming work, the Father and the Son together sent the Holy Spirit to finish out our adoption. You know, going back to the original passage, um, Romans 8.15, the, the second part of it says, shows that the Spirit was an active part of our adoption. It says, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption. So to relate it back to the analogy, um, if Jesus did the mediation work, the Holy Spirit is kind of doing you know, the, so, the social work part. So he's the one who communicates and assures us that we really are the children of God. The Spirit acts as a counselor who produces trust and love toward God in our hearts. So we know um, that we are God's children because we believe in Jesus Christ and that Jesus died for us, but we feel it because of the Spirit. Um, John Calvin wrote, The gift of sonship is the highest privilege of redemption and the primary work of the Holy Spirit. So God initiates our adoption, Jesus mediates our adoption, and the Holy Spirit seals our adoption. So it's truly the work of of a triune God. Okay, so that was truth number one. So truth number two um, is that adoption gives us a new identity. So did you guys know even with human adoption, um, when, you're, when you're adopted, um, you're actually issued a new birth certificate that is retroactive back to your birth. So legally, it's like you literally become a whole, a whole new person, right? 
So the name I was given at birth um, was Han In Young. So if there are any people with the last name Han out there, we could be, we could be related maybe. Um, but I don't know if my birth parents gave me that name or if the adoption agency made up a name for me. I'm not really sure, but that was the name that was on all of my paperwork. Um, but when I was adopted at three months old, uh, my parents gave me a new name, Beth Ann Yagelski. So as you can probably tell, um, I probably struggled a little bit with identity as a child because you know, here's this little Asian girl with a very Polish last name. Um, and I, I always had to explain that. And it's not an easy name. I had to spell it all the time for everybody. And you know, it was very, uh, you know, complicated. Um, and I love to, to tell this story. I think it was in elementary school. Back in the day, they actually took attendance for, um, you know, on the first day of school. And, you know, one of the teachers had seen me, knew my name was Beth, and so they kind of, kind of knew who I was a little bit. And so they were taking attendance, and they saw, you know, on the, on the attendance sheet, it said Beth Yagelski, and they thought, okay, clearly that has to be wrong because she's this little Asian girl. And so they're taking roll call, and they're like, Beth Yagelsaki? <laughs> so they literally changed my name into a, to a, uh, an Asian-ish name, um, and that was, you know, literally the running joke for the rest of the year, Beth Yagelsaki, so don't call me that anymore. Um, but, you know, to make it even more complicated, um, my, the dad that adopted me, he um, passed away suddenly, actually, from cancer when, uh, six months after I was adopted, right? So um, my, my poor mom, you know, was left just with me um, by herself. Um, she eventually got remarried when I was three, so a couple, a couple years later, and so she got remarried to my current father, Kirk Russell, not Kurt Russell, but Kirk Russell. Um, and so not only did I have a last name that didn't match my face, but then I also had two parents that had a completely different last name than I did. So imagine trying to explain that all the time when you're you know, five years old to everybody, um, you know, all the way through my entire life. Um, and my parents had a weird sense of humor. They would joke and say that even by the age of three, I was so hard on my parents that I went through th um, three dads and two moms. You know. Um, which is funny, but it also kind of contributed to me, like, you know, feeling like, who's am I, you know, who's, who do I belong to, this dad, this dad, this mom, this mom, there's just, um, you know, it's very confusing as a, as a young kid. But, you know, although I had a great childhood, I have nothing to complain about, I'm so, so blessed. Um, but there was always some level of never feeling like I completely fit in, and sometimes even within my own family. Um, you know, from... The beginning of time, my parents always told me I was adopted, and I'm like so thankful for that. There was never a time when they sat me down and said, "Hey, we have something to tell you." Um, I just always knew it was just, it was just a commonplace thing, um, you know, for me. I just I never it was just always like that. But I do remember distinctly this one time um, as I was walking um, down the hallway of my house, a hallway I've walked through you know a million times, and there was this um, there's this long table, and it was filled with you know family pictures, as some of us may have in our in our homes currently. Um, and there was this one picture of my parents and myself. Of, of course, I've seen it a million times going back and forth. But for one, this one moment, it, it, it struck me. Um, and I looked at it, and I realized that I looked different from them. It was like the first time I realized I looked different. And then um, at that time, I realized, like, oh, that's why, you know, when the three of us go into a restaurant, and they're like, table for two? And I always thought, like, hello, I'm right here. And I, I used to think I was so short that they didn't see me or something. But I realized seeing that picture that it was because... They didn't think I was part of, you know, my family. So, you know, it's just little things like that through, throughout, throughout life. Um, you know, I've had an amazing life, and I'll forever be grateful um, that God gave me great parents. I mean, they love me, clear, like, more than, more than anything. So it was always hard to kind of navigate this feeling of insecurity without hurting their feelings in a way. Um, but this one New York Times article says it best. It says, how can an adoptee be expected to weigh the loss of her mother, language, and culture 
against the burden of gratitude she feels for her adoptive country and parents. So I think it's that weird tension that um, a lot of adoptees kind of live with. But I know most of you are not adopted, and some of you are, um, but a lot of you are not adopted from the human sense. But I'm sure that you've all struggled with identity um, throughout your life at some point. You know, our identity is who we define ourselves to be. It could be traits that define us, accomplishments, achievements, your career, um, even your family um, can, can define you. And I think a lot of times we struggle because we try to figure out who we are within ourselves or we let the world try to define us. Um, and that, you know, then we end up holding on so tightly to the things of this world because our identity is rooted here on earth. You know, we're obsessed with um, our career and trying to climb the corporate ladder or comparing our parenting to other people's parenting or even, you know, trying to find like the perfect spouse and things like that. But all that brings eventually is, is fear, right? Because the world's ever-changing and that, that foundation on earth is, is not solid. But once we're adopted by God, we get a whole new identity. So for me, that is so freeing because um, I know once and for all who I belong to wholeheartedly. You know, I may have had three earthly fathers, um, but I have only have one heavenly father who is perfect. So our identity is in Christ. So it's no longer how we see ourselves or how the world defines us. It's how God sees us. Apostle Paul in his epistles uses the term in Christ or in him 143 times. I, I did not count them. I'm going to believe whatever reference I, I read. Um, and it's the most used term in the Bible to describe believers. And 35 of those times, God says, because you are in Christ, here is your true identity. So all those references are, are, are um, actual verses in the, in the Bible. You know, he says, in Christ, we are a new creation. We are his workmanship. We are chosen, a royal priesthood, redeemed, justified, you know, so much more. Um, you know, for our response song um, later on, um, I chose who you say I am. So it's strange because um, I know we've sang it here many times over the past years, um, and for a while it was Nathan, um, our five-year-old. I have three boys. We have three boys. Um, Nathan is our, <laughs> our five-year-old. Um, and for a while it was our favorite, his favorite song, and so it would be on repeat in car rides. Um, and we would just hear him screaming, yes, I am, all the time, all the time. Um, so I know the song well, and I can probably recite every single lyric, um, but somehow it didn't sink in until the past few weeks as I've been preparing. You know, this song really describes our identity in God. It says, we are children of God. We are chosen, not forsaken. And it says, I am who you say I am. So it has nothing to do with how the world views us or how others view us um, or even how we view ourselves. You know, we are not defined by our successes, our failures, or our circumstances. We are defined by God and who he says we are. And he says, you are loved, you are valuable, you are forgiven, you are beautiful, you are accepted, you are capable, and so much more. So our identity should be shaped by those words that God speaks about us, because there is no higher truth than God's. Amen? Um, so our identity is in him alone because we are his children. You know, these days, um, you know, everyone has identity crises, um, and everyone talks about trying to figure out who they truly are, um, but it's in him that we actually become our true, authentic selves. We gain a sense of freedom without doubt and fear if we put our hope in our unfailing father instead of this fallen world and imperfect humans. Rick Warren wrote, um, it is only in God that we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our significance, and our destiny. Every other path leads to a dead end. So we have a new identity, and it is in him. 
And Jesus Christ is, is our perfect example, of course. You know, he went through all the worldly issues, way more than we can imagine. Um, but he remained firm in who he was. You know, his identity was fully in his father, not himself. And my prayer is that we can, you know, live the same way or try. Okay, the third truth about our um, spiritual adoption is that adoption allows us to experience familial intimacy with God. So I know the word family can bring up so many different things for different people. Um, For some, it may be a beautiful image. For others, it may be, you know, brokenness and hurt and all of those things. But in any case, you know, this relationship and being part of God's family is completely different, not only in the fact that our Heavenly Father is perfect, but he wants to lavish his love on us in extraordinary ways that no earthly father could. Um, Going back to our metaphor, um, it's one thing to be released from the confines of the orphanage and gain a new identity, and a completely different thing to be welcomed home and feel true love and security there. Um, I'm referencing again, but uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Joy Unspeakable, talks a lot about the Holy Spirit giving us a sense of power and presence of God, which is essentially the greatest assurance that we can have. He illustrates the difference between an ordinary relationship with God and one highlighted by the Holy Spirit. So let me read this excerpt for us. A man and his little child are walking down the road, and they are walking hand in hand. And the child knows that he is the child of his father, and he knows that his father loves him, and he rejoices in that, and he is happy in it. There is no uncertainty about it at all. But suddenly, the father, moved by some impulse, takes hold of the child and picks him up in his arms, kisses him, embraces him, showers his love upon him, and then puts him down again, and they go walking together. That is it. The child knew before that his father loved him, and he knew that he was his child. But oh, the loving embrace, this extra outpouring of love, this unusual manifestation of it, that is the kind of thing. The spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So that difference between ordinary and extraordinary relationship um, is what adoption allows us to experience. Um, We see in the second part of verse 15 where it says, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So him here is referring to the Holy Spirit that Lloyd is speaking of. It is the Holy Spirit that makes God real to us. So Abba is an Aramaic term for father. Um, It's a less formal version of Ab. So you can think of it as father and daddy, kind of. Um, It's how Jewish children address their fathers, so it's a very intimate term that's used. Um, Abba, Father is only referenced three times. And it's only in the New Testament. It's in Romans, Mark, and Galatians. And it's only the Apostle Paul and Jesus um, that utter these words. And it's likely because, you know, they had such a transformational encounter with God. In the Old Testament, um, God is addressed as Father very few times, only 11. And I also did not go through and count those either. But um, 11 times he was called a Father. Um, No one would utter, you know, even Father because his name was so holy that no one would ever think to dare reference him as Abba until Jesus. So Jesus could do that only because he was God's true, begotten, one and only son. But in Romans, um, it reveals that the Spirit put Jesus' name for his Father into our hearts, essentially showing us that we are just as near and dear to God as Jesus is, and we are now able to approach him with that same familial intimacy that he does. So I, th- I feel like we've all heard Abba Father, and I feel like we've all heard like how it's an intimate term to call God. Um, but what I thought was interesting is I feel like in addition to the intimacy part, I feel like Abba encompasses so much more. So it expresses the heart of Jesus' relationship to God, which is, was one of intimacy, but also one of reverence and obedience. 
So although Romans was written in Greek, um, Paul used specifically that Aramaic term Abba. You know, the rest was Greek. So even Abba Father was Abba in Aramaic and then Pater, Potter, for father in, um, in, in Greek. So the use of that Aramaic term was very intentional. Um, and these are the exact terms that Jesus used um, as told in Mark 14, 36, when he was making that passionate plea to God in, in Gethsemane. And it says, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. And we all know that. I think it's very familiar. But during this, during this prayer and crying out, Abba, you know, he was not only connecting intimately with God, but he was also expressing his submissive and obedient heart. So it's likely that Paul's use of Abba, Father in Romans is also trying to portray, you know, not only that intimacy, but also um, that same respect and obedience that was in Mark. And we'll talk about it more in the next point, um, but the verses preceding the verses we talked about and kind of after talk about that obedience that we should have to God in the spirit rather than our flesh and our sin. But through adoption, we are able to approach this obedience as sons and daughters and not as slaves. So just like in our own families, when a child slips up and discipline and we discipline them, we want them to understand that we have their best interests in mind um, and that they should trust in our forgiving and disciplining love. So you know, whenever I get really mad at my, my kids for something they've done wrong, which is, I told you I have three boys, so it's quite often that I'm mad at them. Um, but, you know, after I discipline them, and they will tell you, them, this, they will tell you this themselves, um, even when I'm still mad and they're still crying, I, I always say, you know, I might be really mad at you right now, but you know I love you, right? Um, you know, and they'll nod, like, with tears running down their face. Oh, um, and it's funny because now, you know, a lot of times they say the same thing back to me. They're like, Mommy, I'm so mad at you, but I still love you. Um, but, you know, I say that to remind them that there is always a security and permanence in my love for them, even during those moments when I may be disappointed or <clears throat> even furious with them. And it's the same way with God. You know, our adoption allows us to approach God with boldness because we have that intimate, respectful, and obedient love. We can be bold knowing that he will never revoke our adoption. It's permanent and it's forever. You know, you hear of a lot of human um, adoption stories where adoption is revoked because, you know, the child is too difficult or, um, you know, it's not what the parents expected or they may have just changed their minds at the last minute. Um, and, you know, really an unsaid truth about adoption is that it's usually not a first choice, right? Um, in my case, my parents got pregnant when they were very young. Um, and my mom, you know, she went full term, but my mom developed a tumor at the very end, and so she had to deliver a full term stillborn, um, and she had to have a hysterectomy at, I think she was like 25 or something crazy. So, you know, after 25, she, she couldn't have kids, um, which is also why I'm here, here today, right? So, um, you know, sometimes human adoption is not a first choice, but we are always God's first choice, right? And we are eternally loved because God is love, um, love didn't even exist before God. So through adoption, we're able to have this familial intimacy with God. I mean, it's that type of intimacy that's not only, you know, that feel-good closeness um, but, and security, but it's also sometimes discipline, um, you know, through the hard times. And just to circle back um, to my story earlier about the lack of family resemblance that I have, and, you know, obviously that all um, adoptees have, it's crazy because, you know, our resemblance to God could not be more different. I mean, we are on completely different ends of this spectrum. You know, God is this perfect God, and we are these flawed humans. Um, we couldn't be more different, 
but that's what makes our adoption and ultimately our salvation um, so much more glorious, right? Okay, and finally, our fourth truth about adoption, or about our spiritual adoption. Adoption makes us God's royal heirs. So this comes from the last verse in our passage from today, um, Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So as I was preparing, um, I started to go down some major rabbit holes. Um, So I kept finding all these different things. um, And so I put together a fancy little picture of something that I I thought was pretty cool. You know, when talking about the heirs of God, Paul describes it in three different Greek words that actually have the same prefix. So um, you can see it kind of highlighted in yellow, and certainly I'm not going to try to pronounce any of these, but you can kind of all see that those start with the same, um, you know, the same prefix. Um, And it's actually pronounced some in Greek. So I'm going to touch on each one of those some words. Um, And the first some is, you can see, joint heirs or co-heirs with Christ. So we know that Jesus is the natural heir, and his inheritance is literally the whole universe. Hebrews 1, 2 says, The Son has been appointed heir of all things. So being co-heirs, that means that we, as God's adopted children, have the same status as the eldest son, and will share in that same inheritance with Jesus. But what exactly is our inheritance? Um, You know, there are several Bible references to our inheritance outside of Romans, um, and the one I chose is 1 Peter 1 through 4. 1 Peter 1.4, describes it as an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So our inheritance is essentially heaven, um, the world. Our relationship with God is our inheritance, um, and everything that he has promised us in salvation. Michael Whitmer um, writes in his book called, it's called A Heaven is a Place on Earth. Um, Let me read you the, the excerpt from it about heaven. It says, So the new earth will be an exciting, interesting place to be. We will always be growing, always be learning more about ourselves, the world, and God. We will never bottom out or become bored, for we will never know as much as God knows. There will always be some new joy to discover, some place place to visit or revisit, some new dish to create, a new flower to breed, a new song to sing, a new poem to write, a new golf club to try out, a new lesson to learn and then pass to someone else, some person to know more deeply, something new in our relationship with God. And this stretching and growing will go on forever. Nothing will be more satisfying than dwelling with our Father on the earth we call home, enjoying the well-rounded, flourishing lives he intended for us all along. Our next life will look an awful lot like this one, lacking only the suffering that arises from sin. So reading that, we begin to understand the magnitude of the glory that awaits us. Um, And hopefully that will make it easier to endure any suffering that comes our way during this lifetime. Um, So that brings us to the second sum of Paul's explanation of errors. Um, It's suffering with him. The first says, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So it sounds conditional, but it's actually not a conditional statement. It's not if we suffer, then we'll share in his glory. It's just saying that our union with Christ will likely always involve both suffering and glory. If we are children of God, it's a condition that we've already met, and therefore it can almost be interpreted more as, you know, since we, we suffer, or though we suffer, we will also share in his glory. And suffering can mean so many different things. Um, suffering can certainly mean, you know, suffering for following Christ. It can mean suffering because of the hardships of this world. Um, or suffering can even be describing that tension between living in our earthly mortal bodies 
and the yearning for our heavenly home that we just, that we just talked about. Um, all we do know is that being a child of God does not make us exempt from suffering. But knowing that we are not alone and knowing where we will eventually be going can help us get, help us get through anything and can change the way we live our lives here on earth. And the third sum um, is about being an heir is sharing in his glory. So, you know, our spiritual adoption in general is entirely for God's glory. It's God-centered and God-exalting. Um, it's really not about us, but by being heirs, we get to share in that glory. By enjoying our glorious God, that is how we exalt him. So the truth is, you know, adoption, you know, the fourth truth is adoption makes us royal heirs, but really it makes us co-heirs, co-sufferers, and co-glorified. So just to recap, um, the four truths. So we talked about how our adoption is the work of a triune God. We talked about how it gives us a new identity in him. We talked about how it allows a familial intimacy with God. And then we talked lastly about how it makes us royal heirs. But, you know, what does that mean for all of us as adoptees of God? You know, honestly, looking back at my own life, um, I somewhat felt pressured to make the most out of what God gave me here um, through my human adoption. You know, I, I always think about where I could have been um, had I been an orphan in Korea. My life would look clearly so much different. Um, so I think I felt some underlying pressure to, you know, be as successful in life as possible um, and to kind of try to fulfill the dreams of my parents, which I certainly did not, but um, they wanted me to be a doctor. Um, so I didn't do that. But, you know, just in general, trying to make the most of this second chance of life that my you know, that God gave me here on earth. Um, and similarly, I think this passage has shown me that by being adopted by God, we have a similar obligation to live a certain way. Um, I know this is going backwards, so I'm sorry, but um, there are two verses that precede the passage for today. And it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And even in the chapters before, like chapter right before, in Romans 7, so we talked about Romans 8 today, but in Romans 7, the words I and me are found around 25 times. And so, you know, that chapter is all about, you know, us trying to do everything on our own. But then it shifts in Romans 8. Uh, it's kind of a new transition with the Spirit, and the Spirit is what is mentioned 22 times in, in Romans 8. So, you know, we don't have an obligation to our old selves anymore. We don't have an obligation to the things of this world, our old habits, or our old desires. If we are led by the flesh, you know, we will always be striving to obtain more or belong more, but it'll always be striving because clearly the world will never satisfy. There's always going to be this spiritual battle, right, between um, our earthly desires and the spirit. Um, and we can't fight that on our own, but with the spirit we can. And being led by the spirit leads to life where we have a true sense of belonging and an eternal community of love with God. So we have the spirit to help guide us, and we have God to rely on, and we are able to cry out to him, Abba, Father. So a familiar praise song says, um, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. You know, this world produces so much fear. Um, even for those of us that know God, I'm sure we all still have fears, right? The fear of failure, the fear of abandonment, fear of the future, fear of the past, you know, and all those things, you know, lead up to the fact that we deal with anxiety, depression, all these things that enslave us um, on all levels. But being adopted means that in Christ and with the help of the Spirit, we are free to live in a new way. And this freedom will bear fruit in our lives. 
the more we become in Christ, the more we'll truly live. I try to remind myself all the time, and I try to pass this on to my kids, but I always try to have an eternal perspective. Um, you know, this life that feels so all-consuming um, is truly like a mist that vanishes. And compared to eternity, this life, whether it's been a great life or whether it's been a very difficult life, it's going to be gone in the blink of an eye. So it's too short to be consumed with insecurities and fears that we're not going to have later. Um, you know, no matter what our backgrounds are, we have all been adopted by God. We're all brothers and sisters, right, and belong to him. And so all we should really care about is what he thinks of us, not what the world thinks of us. So just to kind of close, um, you know, for me, there's always been some level of embarrassment or shame um, with being adopted. And I know I shouldn't feel that way. It's just, you know, kind of a natural thing. But especially in Asian culture where, you know, I feel there's a, st a stigma associated with it because there's such a focus on family lines and family lines being so important. Um, and even now at 45 years old, you know, when it comes up, you know, out, out in the fellowship hall, I think a couple weeks ago, someone's like, why is your Korean so bad? You know, and, and like, I, it is really bad. It's better than my husband's, but it's really bad. Um, so, you know, I always kind of have to explain that I'm adopted. And for a, a split second, you know, um, it, there is a sense of, of embarrassment with that for some reason. But it's a complete opposite with our spiritual adoption by God. You know, I can't think of anything that can be greater or a bigger, bigger privilege than being a child of God. So, um, you know, whether we've had the most perfect family life here or whether it's been a difficult family life, um, we have to remind ourselves that, you know, our human parents are not perfect. And we as parents will certainly never be perfect. Um, but God, our true father, is always perfect. So I'll end with a quote from J.I. Packer. Um, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. To be right with God, the judge, the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Let us pray together.